Welcome to Decoding Parenthood, where we unleash the secrets of parenting. Today, we have Ms. Kathleen Elizabeth, also known as Ms. Liz. She has a phys- psychotherapy practice um, in Maryland, and she'll be talking to us about a couple of different topics, but mainly depression, anxiety, and trauma. So welcome, Ms. Liz. Can you please introduce yourself to our viewers? Absolutely. So my name is Liz. I go by that um, most frequently. So I have actually been in private. I've been actually in the field now for about 23 years. Um, I am classically trained in counseling psychology. I've had my private practice for 17 years. I have been a certified trauma therapist now for over a decade. And um, I have a coaching business that is like also national and international. So I run both of those from home and I have actually probably seen and dealt with almost every possible diagnosis you could imagine. So, um, and I work mostly with adults and, and couples, um, occasionally families, a lot of times with like, you know, parents and how to deal best with, with children and like stress and especially like post pandemic. And, um, so I got into this field because I, my, I lost my father when I was 10 and, and like that unresolved grief, you know, created a lot of depression, separation, anxiety, abandonment issues. And I got really depressed for, for a very long time. So by the time I was 15, I realized I didn't want anyone else to ever feel the way that I did. And so I wanted to help people to learn how to emotionally regulate and have and live the best lives. So welcome. Um, and we are honored to have you here. What, you know, how has your practice changed since COVID? Like, do you see more? And, and I know, I mean, the, the world is not the same since 2020, but have you seen more cases of depression or anxiety or trauma um, since 2020? And like, do you have any data on like how the numbers have evolved? The, the only good thing that I've actually seen that come out of the pandemic is now the board has now started to recognize tele and video health. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can actually have like a greater reach to reach people so that they can actually, they can actually see a therapist from their living room. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll have, I'll have clients that will need to be seen in their car. It's the only way they can get privacy away from their, their kids, their partner, yeah. their work. Um, but then they don't have to, they don't have to travel. They don't have to, they don't have to commute. They don't have to sit mm-hmm. in the waiting room. They like less exposure. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when they, benefit a lot and especially if they have any kind of anxiety leaving the home any kind of trauma mm-hmm. it's and or if they have any kind of disabilities or incapacities mm-hmm. it's really helped with that so we now have more rules and regulations around televideo health so um that's the only thing i've actually seen good come out of covid um but in terms of like what we were seeing as part of the problems we saw a huge upswing in divorce and child abuse. Mm-hmm. We saw a lot more of depression, anxiety. We saw a lot more of like a lot more health issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's, it's been very troubling to say the least. And it's like, so the statistics have actually said that at this point in the United States, they're like, we saw a 30% increase wow. in, in like mental health mm-hmm. disorders. 
So currently there's about 126 million Americans on antidepressants and anoxalytics, which are anti-anxiety. And then there's about 50 million people actively seeking counseling treatment. And there are only about less than 700,000 qualified mental health professionals that are licensed to treat those 50 million people. So it's um, we're in high demand, but it, it's one of those things that there's, we're still working on decreasing the stigma of getting mental health and counseling. People how often have a, a tendency to think that, oh, but I need to be sick enough, or, oh, I don't have that much of a problem, or it's like, you know, when you want to see you before, it becomes a major problem that mm-hmm. becomes harder to solve. So it's, um, so we want to normalize a lot of feelings and emotions and provide an emotionally corrective experience in which we're actually providing people the ability, the tools, the techniques not to stay in therapy, not to need us. Mm-hmm. We don't want people to become dependent. Mm-hmm. I want you to get better. I want you to go out. I want you to be able to take these tools and techniques, teach them to your children, mm-hmm. teach them to your partner, you know, and like in that way, we provide an emotional flexibility. Mm-hmm. And this actually helps parents, especially, to teach their kids resilience. Right. So we can't get rid of anxiety. We're mm-hmm. meant to have it. We can't get rid of sadness. Mm-hmm. We're meant to have it. Mm-hmm. But learning, teaching people how to learn how to emotionally regulate so that they're not responding from their feeling, that is incredibly powerful. And it's much more empowering to the parent and to the child. So, you know, those numbers that you brought up there, you know, for us who is not into this field, uh, it's like, wow, so many cases, right? And many times, as you said, we feel like it might be just that one day that I'm sad because you don't remember your bad days for that long. So you're like, oh, maybe it was just a bad day at work and I don't need help, mm-hmm. right? But when it comes to children, they're different than us because many times they're not able to communicate the way the adults can or maybe, you know, the feelings they're not able to suppress. What are like the unusual behaviors do you see or have you noticed in children when they're going through maybe, you know, trauma or anxiety or depression um are they like you know should parents look out for those common you know things like oh i i think i should take my child for some help i would say that there's there's a lot of different things is like you know it's really really important for the parent to spend time with and create a routine for the child and there needs to be stability within the home. And I will also say the most important thing that any parent can ever do is to work on themselves first. Mm-hmm. They need to learn how to like not only acknowledge and recognize mm-hmm. their own emotions, mm-hmm. to, but to be able to regulate them. So it's because you're providing the blueprint for the nervous system of the child. So if, if, we, if the parent gets frustrated, mm-hmm. if they become impatient or they mm-hmm. become snippy, it's like, well, you know, let's be real. We all have bad days. Mm-hmm. We've all, you know, lost our cool. That's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. But to be able to acknowledge that and, you know, 
to be able to validate mm-hmm. and even universalize the feeling, mm-hmm. you're you're providing the blueprint for empathy. Mm-hmm. And that's what we really want is like, so for example, if like, you know, a child is, you know, takes away a toy or like, you know, hits another child or, mm-hmm. you know, because those things happen. What we really want to teach them is more of a frustration tolerance. Mm-hmm. So it's like, of course they want things. You know, they're free to want whatever it is that they want. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're always going to get it. And so those children that are able to, you know, delay the gratification and to mm-hmm. be able to tolerate frustration, mm-hmm. and then you're actually validating their feelings. Don't suppress it. Don't deny it. Don't tell them not to feel that way mm-hmm. or to suck it up or boys don't cry. Anything like that, we're yeah. doing such a huge disservice because the child will actually disconnect from the feelings mm-hmm. because they want to please you and they want and they need to survive. So at that point, the more you validate, the more that they actually have the, the ability to acknowledge their emotions, the ability to mitigate their stress, mm-hmm. and then you're going to be actually showing them that they can get the attention that they really want. And that they are loved regardless of how they feel. Mm-hmm. And that they don't always have to react from those feelings. They can learn how to respond. Mm-hmm. And this is where we come into like critical thinking and learning how to deal with those emotions. It's like that they have those emotions, they're not bad. Mm-hmm. There is no bad emotion. Right. So, but there is also consequences. Mm-hmm. And then this is where we started like moving more into like emotional intelligence. And relational intelligence. Mm-hmm. So in like this is like the socialization. So like, so when people like to say like, well, what is mental health? Mental health is the overall psychological, emotional, physical well-being of a person mm-hmm. that is sustainable and provides self-efficiency, autonomy, mm-hmm. and then being able to live with a quality of life mm-hmm. and be able to share that. What we found is is that eighty percent of our Overall health and well-being over a lifetime mm-hmm. is is predicated upon the quality of our relationships, mm-hmm. and it's like that starts with us, and it starts with our children. Mm-hmm. So when it's like in our children, how else would you actually teach them that? Yeah, you get to learn how to play nice. So, so a lot of times I see I see a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. where they're just being shuffled off to school, mm-hmm. they're being indoctrinated. They have mm-hmm. to behave a certain way. They have to sit down and mm-hmm. be quiet. And, you know, and like a parents, parents these days, they're, they're stressed. They're stressed out. Yeah. They're tired. They come home. Oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. I got to fix dinner. There's lots of different things. But it's like, but a parent who can learn how to take care of themselves, and you have to put yourself first. And I know that, so, like, especially for women, that can be very challenging. So put yourself first, and it's like you're showing them. You're showing them healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, and then the relationship that you have with your partner provides and protects for them. So there's a lot of things that go into that. So like when I see a lot of kids that come in high anxiety because they don't know how to talk, they're not, they've not been taught how to use their words. They're not feeling heard and understood. One of the simplest things that I tell my parents to do, have a meal with them. We've actually like, We've seen that all the research has indicated if you just simply sit down and then ask your child, how did your day go? Now, I realize for some, a lot of my people who have teenagers, they're going to be like, 
Your teenager's like, or nothing. whatever. Oh, uh, it was good. Like, it was okay. It was good. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah. don't, don't let them stop there. And so, and it's like, you, you get to kind of challenge. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what I see a lot of times is like, I see where the parent is trying to be their child's friend. Mm-hmm. You are not their friend. You are their parent. And I, the people need to be able to say no which again is part of building the frustration tolerance. So it's like, say no. But I think maybe they're saying, oh, I'm my child's friend because they think the child, not not the young ones, but like as they grow, like a teenager, mm-hmm. might be able to share more things that happen in their life freely. I don't know if, now that you mentioned that, I don't know if, you know, calling yourself your child's friend betters communication between the teenager and and the parent or does it keep the same it keeps the same this is one of the reasons why it's so incredibly important that you know so the parent has their own support system and they should not be crossing your specific boundary lines like for example you know telling their child like you know intimate things about their their partner their father Yeah. Or, you know, about their dating life, if they're they're single or divorced mm-hmm. or widowed, you know, about like, you know, the frustrations at work or finances. Mm-hmm. It's like your child does not need to know that. Like you get to leave them out of that, mm-hmm. you know, until they yeah. are old enough to be able to learn how to do that for themselves. But again, you're mm-hmm. providing an example. So it's like you're not their friend. You're their parent. You're they need that far more than anything else. So, for example. Teenagers. Mm-hmm. Teenagers have three jobs to be pissed off, to push boundaries, and to be sexual. And they do all of those quite well. But your job is always going to be to provide the safety net. My father used to call this the circle. It's like, you know, you get yourself in trouble. It's like you find yourself in a circle. Mm-hmm. My job is to yank you out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so this is how they learn critical thinking. This is how they make mistakes. We're actually going to be normalizing failure. What did you fail at today? Mm-hmm. Like, we're all going to fail. We don't get to be afraid of failure Mm -hmm. because we're all going to make mistakes. What did you learn is a much more important question. Mm -hmm. Now, where do we want to take that? So, again, you're providing them more resiliency rather than pointing out what they did wrong. Mm -hmm. So a friend is not going to do that. A friend is going to, like, look more for approval, validation. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. And I see a lot of my parents, the reason why they have such a hard time telling their child no providing discipline or like because they they equate discipline with punishment it's not mm-hmm. the same thing those are collapsed mm-hmm. there needs to be a line and when there's a very healthy line this is what provides not only the basis for their value system for their beliefs it provides more of a, a sense of i feel safe in this here's where i end and here's where you begin mm-hmm. i can say no and I can be okay with that, mm-hmm. even if you're upset with me. So even if your child is upset with you, it's okay. Allow them to be upset. This is where you get to validate. So this is why my parents need to be secure mm-hmm. in their own feelings and being able to like, mitigate and regulate their own emotions. So when we do that, that is incredibly powerful. So that's how they form and create their own identity. So then when they go out into the world, they're going to be able to face those things. So it's like 
that's the real pandemic. It's like long before coronavirus mm-hmm. or CV-19 is stress is the biggest factor in what we actually see in brain development of mm-hmm. children and of teenagers. It's like your brain is still developing until the age of 25. And what I found is, is that when people are, they are disconnected from their feelings and they don't know how to think or feel, they do not feel safe in their environment. They feel like they can't talk to their parents, their peer groups, and there's a lot of social pressure, especially with social media. Mm-hmm. It's like social media is like the, the dopamine slot machine of the internet. And it's never a good thing. It has actually physically changed the brain mm-hmm. of children growing up today. Mm-hmm. And so people need to be able to understand, you know, their own boundaries because a lot of times there's the cyberbullying is really bad. Yeah. It's really horrible. Yeah. And it's like there's somebody else on the other side of that screen. And it's like, so we need to be able to, to see that and we need to be able to interact with that. And we need to be able to have a lot of those those social skills, mm-hmm. that social knowledge, which is being lost. So there's, um, I see a lot of that. And I really want to tell people, it's like, you can learn how to do this with like, you can learn how to do it with mindfulness. Mm-hmm. You can learn how to do it with meditation, breath work, mm-hmm. because any kind of anxiety lives in the body. And it's like, so when people are end up disconnecting and a, you know, a child ends up growing, I'm like, I don't feel seen, I don't feel heard, I don't know who I am, that's where we get all the confusion. That's where we get the anger. And then that's really uncomfortable. We are naturally supposed to avoid pain, fear. So what do people do? They turn to distraction. Mm-hmm. They turn to addiction. And so then emotional intelligence is just like a muscle when you go to the gym. Mm-hmm. So you're working out and you're, you're building up and it's like, you know, you're increasing your lung capacity. You're increasing, you know, how you feel and like the scar tissue that creates mm-hmm. muscles. It's like your mind is very much the same way. So we need to interact. We need to freshen up those social skills. Mm-hmm. So, and then socially, that's how we have conflict resolution. And then we create those quality of relationships. We learn how to deal with, well, unfortunately, there will always be difficult people. Mm-hmm. So, and you're, you're going to be teaching your child how to do that in accordance to whatever it is that your family and your culture values. So one of the topics that you have mentioned before is separation anxiety. Now, we see separation anxiety a lot with young children. And, you know, when they're starting school, their parents bring them. And of course, there's going to be separation anxiety because they have not been in this environment before. They cry. How do you, or what do you recommend for those families? Like, what are the steps they should be taking in preparing their child for, you know, for school? And it it doesn't have to be, you know, preschool, even elementary school, because they've never left home. And here you go, and you get your lunchbox, and here you go. So how do you prepare, or what are the points can you give to those families? So much there. I like, appreciate the question. So separation anxiety, well, the first one of the first things I really want to emphasize is that it is completely normal and actually can start from like 10 months and usually starts to dissipate around the age of four to five. And it's like, so this is predicated upon like attachment theory. So it's like, you know, you have like a secure attachment style, you have an avoidant attachment style, and then you have a basically a type of uh, anxious attachment style. 
and then there's you're kind of like anxious avoidant, which is more of um, like a mix mm-hmm. of the two. So you know, so to create more of a secure attachment style with the child, it's like being able to provide a sense of safety. What does safety mean? How do we have that mm-hmm. predictability? So this is something where parents can actually have their child go to the school, go to the daycare, mm-hmm. meet the babysitter, mm-hmm. and or like have the environment. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so introduce them. It's mm-hmm. like the same way as like, you know, the introduction of like a, a sibling, like let's say like you know, a family has like you know, another baby on the way. You prepare them to be a big sister, to be a big brother. Mm-hmm. You know, you prepare them like, oh, there's going to be another baby. You get to do this. Mm-hmm. And you're actually like, you're building up, but you're, you're normalizing that. Mm-hmm. And then they get to practice. And so it's like, just like they, you know, practice going out to the car. Mm-hmm. Or we, we practice like, you know, oh, mom's going to leave for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then you come back and then you praise them for, for being calm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and like you reassure them that, you know, I'm going to love you. It's like, just because I, you can't see me doesn't mean that I'm not here. I'm coming back. Mm-hmm. And like build up to that. So, you know, and building up to that means like, you know, at some point you'd be gone for like, you know, 45 minutes while mm-hmm. they're with the babysitter or, you know, and like, you know, going to the school, and like introducing them to like the facility, mm-hmm. you know, here's the chairs, here's the table. Talk to them about what they can expect mm-hmm. and what it is that they get to do. Mm-hmm. So it's like all of those things can be really positive. And it's like, but then you also, and this is the, those are the mistake that I see the most often is when parents will create the context and they'll introduce the situation but they don't validate the feelings and this is the part where a lot of parents don't do that because they don't think to because they're like but i i'm dealing with they're like a lot of parents are dealing with their own insecurity mm-hmm. or they're dealing with their own guilt oh my god i'm leaving my child and i have to go to work i need to i need to we need two incomes to be able to pay for things and yeah you know in this day and age and evolution and so it's like you know, so, but preparing them goes a long way, but you also want to prepare them to go, you know, it's okay if you feel mm-hmm. sad, mommy mm-hmm. won't be there, but I'm going to be there at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's okay if there's, you know, you may have, you know, some, some residual anxiety, some residual sadness, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay if like some things, you know, some things you're going to be introduced in the environment, other kids or other people, you may not necessarily like, and that's okay. You don't get to act on those feelings. And it's like, so you're teaching, you're normalizing that. And then you're introducing not only the situation, but also the feelings. And then they get to make up their own mind. And then it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, get, to, you get to talk about that. You get to process that with them. This creates the basis of a routine. This is what creates safety. They're learning how to trust themselves and therefore learning how to trust their environment. Mm-hmm. When we don't trust the environment is because we're not trusting that we can handle what's actually being caused and created. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and they're going to be looking to you. So it's like, so a lot of the parents who end up rushing to the child or they want to rescue them mm-hmm. or, you know, where they end up getting teared up and like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I'm a horrible parent. I have so many parents who'll say, oh my God, am I scarring them for life? No, you're really not. Mm-hmm. And the children are very plastic. They're very like res- resilient. Mm-hmm. But it's also that they're going to be looking to you for that nervous system response. So this is one of the things where you can be teaching them and teach them self-soothing techniques. So if they get sad, if they get upset, don't deny the feeling. Don't tell them like, you know, buck up, it's okay. 
you know, you're no, don't feel that way. Don't cry. Mm-hmm. Let them. Let them. Okay, I see that you're feeling sad today. Do you, do you want to talk to mommy about it? Mm-hmm. You know, I see you're angry, mm-hmm. you know. So tell dad what you're angry about. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and normal as that. And then it's like, make sure that you're in close proximity to them. Like, and especially for my kids who are more ADD, touch them. This is actually going to light up the receptors in the brain that they're actually going to learn how to calm their own nervous system. Mm-hmm. And they learn that. They learn it so fast. But we're more afraid that, are they going to need me? Yeah. Is this okay? Or we're afraid they're always going to feel that way or they're always going to have that meltdown? No, they won't. They learn how to do that for themselves and they're going to need those skills for the rest of their lives. So you're not damaging. And it's like the other thing is, is like that a lot of times if like there's something negative like within the environment, mm-hmm. a teacher, caretaker, another kid that's, that's going on, it's like don't ever speak negatively, just like you would never speak negatively about your partner or mm-hmm. in front of the children. Mm-hmm. You don't argue in, unfairly in front of children. Mm-hmm. You also don't speak badly about the place that they're going because it's going to perpetuate. They pick up so many cues from you. They're like, they're little sponges. Mm-hmm. They pick up everything. And so when you see that like they're having an, a negative response or reaction, mm-hmm. explore that with them. Don't be too afraid to go, so this is, you know, and sometimes, like, I have my parents who react negatively because they feel embarrassed, but they're not supposed to cry. Oh, my God, everybody's looking at us. Yeah. No, if actually, if anything, every single parent's going, been there, <laughs> done that. And, you know, and then it's like, you're really, no, I'm okay. You're okay. They're going to base that off of you. And, like, children are extremely energetic. And they're also going to, they're going to see, like, how you respond. And they're gonna mom, they're gonna mimic that, and it's like, and allow yourself to actually have your feelings too. And it's like when you make mistakes, you also get to acknowledge that you're gonna be teaching them, so it normalizes that as well. So separation anxiety. So most children will actually they grow out of separation anxiety. Only about about a third of children like it will last into their teens, and these are your shy more introverted mm-hmm. kind of kids. And I get kids who are introverted. Like a lot of people go, oh, they, we have a tendency as a society, as culture to laud and applaud the people that, you know, are, are very extroverted. They're very charismatic mm-hmm. and they, they probably speak well. You know, people like them. You know, they just kind of, people kind of flock to them. But the most of our society is actually introverted. And there's a, there's a very subtle power that comes with that and that those are these kids who are the people watchers don't be alarmed if your kid is like a little bit clingy and it's like or if they're a little shy nothing wrong with it so you you gave us you know some amazing nuggets and we have over the years heard so many parents talk about you know their first day their child's first day in school and how they worked months to prepare them and create the excitement. But I think the most important nugget was the feelings. We, you know, we consider feelings such a small part of our integral life when actually it's more part (laughs) than everything else. Because if you don't feel confident about yourself or if you don't feel happy about yourself, you're not going to be able to 
enjoy those, you know, amazing moments that are going to happen or things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to, you know, ask you about separation anxiety in adults, you know, <laughs> because as you mentioned that, you know, kids go through separation anxiety and we adults go through it too. Like, oh, I feel so bad leaving my baby or like, you know, a first-time mom is leaving her baby in the daycare and feeling so guilty about it. Mm -hmm. You know, what can those parents do to cope up with separation anxiety? The kids, you know, we can talk to them about the feelings, but adults, who should they talk to? Or what, what can we do to cope up with that? So like, it's really interesting. It's like you adults very much can have an anxious attachment style. Yeah. And, you know, I see that a lot with my people who are like dating, you know, or, you know, like even in relationships, it's like they, because they, they become, they become jealous or they compare themselves to other people, you know, and it's like, and it's, some of that is from childhood, but it's like our attachment styles can also change across yeah. our lifespan, depending on what happens. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so, so what, what people can really do is like, is like, is like more self-awareness. This is like, you know, knowing what your feelings are, knowing what your reactions mm -hmm. and responses are, and then learning how to self-manage. And this is where it's like, well, I have these feelings. I am not my feelings. I am not the things that I do. I'm mm -hmm. not the things that I provide for other people or how other people think about me. So it's like, like I said, as anxiety doesn't go away. We're mm -hmm. meant to have it. And, but it's, it becomes more of a problem when we're constantly living in a state of fear that it's actually stealing from our present. We're not actually allowing ourselves to be fully present because we're trying to predict what's happening in the future. And we want to feel better about that. Of course we want to feel good. It's like, well, who doesn't want to feel good, right? So it's like, but, you know, having that, like we refer to it more as like just, you know, generalized anxiety among adults or even a social phobia yeah. or social anxiety, even performance anxiety. Yeah. Like all of those are very, very real. But it's like, you know, learning how to have compassion for yourself, learning how to sit with those feelings, learn how to feel more comfortable with being uncomfortable, because that's where the growth is. It's like you're either green and growing or you're ripe and rotting. And it's like, so to be able to deal with life on life's terms, it's like there is no bad feeling. It always has something to teach you and it always has something to do with your body. This is why we want to be able to identify, especially like this is a great exercise with kids is that like when your kid is feeling like anxious or sad or whatever it is, you can actually ask them because they, like most of the time, like you have four or five years, they know, they know their colors mm -hmm. and they can actually go, you know, like, you know, they know like little parts of the body, ask them, you know, sadness, where, where does color is that? Like blue. Okay. And it's like, pay attention to like their body language and how they say yeah. blue. Okay. Well, where, where, where does that feel like? What does that feel like? Well, where do you feel it? I feel that, I feel that in my chest. Like, what does it feel like? I feel, I feel like I have an elephant sitting on my chest. Like, get them to be descriptive. Mm -hmm. Get them to own and acknowledge that in their body because the anxiety is actually creating an alarm. Mm -hmm. It's like we need to learn how to like turn the alarm off. We can't do that neuroceptively. We can't do that from the top down. We mm -hmm. want to be able to process that from the top up. Mm -hmm. And it's like so. Whenever you see your child, like these are some of the self-soothing activities. Whenever you see them, like they rock. Mm -hmm. You see a lot of kids rock. And then, or you see like, you know, a lot of times you can, you know, when like you, you, you touch them. 
allowing them to be in their body. You're normalizing a sensation mm -hmm. experience. And so what you're doing is you're, you're teaching them how to physically reset their nervous system when they feel a specific feeling. And this actually works very, very well mm -hmm. with my adult patients. So it's like, you know, when like, like I have people who are like, you know, married or, you know, in a relationship with somebody who's deployed. Well, it's like, you know, how do I deal with like loneliness? How do I deal with boredom? Or, you know, how do I feel like when I'm going to work and I messed up that job or I didn't get that interview, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And it's like, we have those feelings. The you know, first thing we want to do is we have like almost like a shame. I'm not supposed to feel that way. I shouldn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, don't shoot all over yourself. And it's like, it's not a supposed to allow. This is the permission. And the more that we can do that and the more we can be intuitive, the more you, you actually release it. It's meant to be expressed and released. Mm -hmm. We're not automatons. Every single one of us has feelings. Mm -hmm. So the more that we're actually acknowledging those feelings, things, yeah. we can actually shift and like mm -hmm. manipulate and like feel them. Now we understand more of our place in the world and in those relationships. Mm -hmm. Now we have the creative problem solving. Now we can actually resolve conflict. And you know what you need to maybe make yourself feel more confident. Absolutely. And yep. how does confidence form? Yeah. Support and acknowledgement. And it's like in the, that, at that point, you get integrity. And so when people always go, how do I, how do I increase my self-esteem? How do I increase my childhood? I want a, I want a confident, well-adjusted child. Well, who doesn't? And it's like, of course. It's like you get to practice with him like that routine. Mm -hmm. they, they be their word. Okay, honey, what, what, what outfit do you want to wear today? What, what kind of color do you want to wear today? And then, you know, they I want to wear purple. Yes, sir. You get to wear purple. And okay, so what, what kind of shoes? And like, so in the, you know, and then they set that and then you follow through. So you're being your word and that's that authenticity. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and then like the feelings and it's like, you know, and they, they get to feel good because that creates the autonomy. Mm -hmm. And then the feeling that they have, you're acknowledging that. Yep. So now they're in touch with themselves. Goes a long way. And it's like, so the feelings, so like, I think that a lot of people, they want some sort of magic pill or something. A lot of this, you're going to be practicing this for the rest it's of a, your life. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continuous mm -hmm. learning process. Oh, and self-love. Yeah, like, and that is important yeah. to know because people nowadays, they just want a quick response. Like, you know, okay, I tried this. I, I you know, gave this chance for my child to pick an outfit. He does, you know, it's all mismatched. It doesn't look right. But you have to keep on giving that chance. Mm -hmm. You cannot take that away mm -hmm. because then there's going to be no trust. So that is very, exactly. very important to continue to working on those. Yeah, and the greatest tool that you ever have to deal with your anxiety is right under your nose. It's your breath. So this is like, this is how we breathe. And it's like, so sometimes it's like, your child is having that meltdown, that temper tantrum. It even works with teenagers, even though they're a little bit more resistant if they haven't you know, been raised with that. He's like, stop. Breathe with me. Right? So it's like, so the more that we can actually do that, and it's like we do not have to react. Because we cannot control the result. We can't control the outcome. That's correct. But we, can, we can't even control the event. We can control our response to mm -hmm. it. This is why I would tell them, like, a lot of my patients, like, you are response-able. So, which means you have an ability to respond to a stimulus that is not collapsed with fault. So, it's like we don't get to shame the 
like the child. We shame the behavior. We're calling on the behavior. Is that working? How do you feel? You feel very good, does it? Okay. So what can we shift and change? This is like basically it creates like an evidence locker for the person to go, oh my gosh, you mean I can feel this way and I didn't die? No, exactly. Yeah. So it's like the more that we can do that, the more they feel empowered, the more they feel enabled. That's that resilience. I can handle whatever life throws at me. And I also get to have the support system and I get to be there for other people. This is putting the unity in community. We need more of that. Mm -hmm. So it's like because with social media, they become much more isolated. And then we make people wrong. And it's like, it's not about being wrong. It's like, well, what works for you? And that's okay. And what works for you might not work for the next person, but that's okay because you just have to keep on trying different things and pick the things that work for mm -hmm. you. And then also having those boundaries. It's yep. like, you know, that which is for you will always find you. That which is not for you, you get to be, get used to the sound of your footsteps walking away from anything that doesn't serve you. So, and it's, so, and it's like, it's not, it's not selfish to put your own needs first. That is self-preservation. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you end up teaching other people that it's safe to be around you because you were authentic. And it's like, you, you can also call them on different things. You know, and kids need to learn that. They don't need anything. They need to learn how to fight fair. They need to learn the compromises when neither party gets exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes we get to do things that we don't always want to do. That doesn't mm -hmm. always feel good. Mm -hmm. And that it is actually for their own betterment. And this is the whole point of discipline. So there's, there's lots of things I can tell your viewers like so much. And <laughs> I know we're only limited time. So. No worries. So... Today was such an amazing discussion and we came up with so many wonderful nuggets that I know that our parents or viewers are going to appreciate um, all of our feelings because we focus so much on everything else that we don't look within us. So thank you, Miss Liz. We hope that you had um, a good informative session with us and we hope you can come back to Decoding Parenthood. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. So for, the, for your listeners um, that are they're watching this, if they want to get a hold of me, they can look for me online. It's www.mdpsychservices.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Liz Childs. And I'm also on Instagram, which is just lizchilds.coaching. And you can also find me on LinkedIn and Psychology Today. And we will put all of those in our description. So feel free to reach out to us or reach out to her um, if you have any questions um, or you need any advice. And I'm sure she will be happy to help. Thank you so much.